I am Kevin. I am Giovanna. I am adventurous. I am dreamer. I am creative. I am wine. I am dance. I am entrepreneur. I am musician. I am privileged. I am activist. I I am am podcast. Learning. Growing. Inspiring. Welcome back to the I Am Podcast. We are so excited today to have entrepreneur, incredible artist, CEO, and founder of String Candy LLC, Juilliard graduate, consummate professional, uh, Stephanie Matthews on. Woo! Violinist extraordinaire. Extraordinaire. Yes. And uh, we're just looking forward to just having some conversation here about. You guys make me sound so fancy. (laughs) You are fancy, girl. (laughs) We don't make anything. We just say what you are. (laughs) We just speak truth. Yeah. (laughs) So funny. So I'm excited to talk to Stephanie just because we are in uh, the same. sector of the entertainment business and uh um, it's amazing that we've only now crossed paths but uh I've, the little bit that I've gotten to know her I've just been so impressed with her professionalism her incredible talent I've gotten a chance to play some chamber music with her and um just her joie de vivre and her focus uh as a as a business owner and um so I just starting off, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Stephanie? Because I can uh, go on and probably botch it pretty well. So let me just <laughs> give you the floor here. <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? Where'd you come from? How'd you get to where you are? Okay. Well, I am an earthling. Um, I grew up in Maryland in the D.C. metropolitan area. And um, I ended up you know, studying music professionally, but I actually started an undergrad in chemistry and molecular biology. So she's smart too. (laughs) I withdrew from um, my program three semesters in and decided to pursue music professionally. I mean, I, I started playing when I was like three and a half. So, I mean, music was always with me. Yeah, I to be honest, I went into the sciences because I was really good at it. I'm still extremely interested in, you know, research and reading up on what's going on, but ultimately my passion was with music, but I was terrified of being like a struggling musician. You know, we hear that phrase a lot. Definitely. And growing up, I just didn't really see anyone like me that, you know what I mean? That, Mm -hmm. that I kind of saw myself as being that had a sustainable career. I had teachers in professional orchestras who were fantastic. Some were, I mean, some were really, really influential in helping me get to this, you know, to this stage. Ultimately, yeah, like the lack of representation for me was like, eh, I mean, I don't want to buy into this pipe dream. And like not be able to support myself. You know, I don't Mm want to be broke and struggling. So yeah, that's really what prompted me to go into biochemistry initially. But yeah, like I, once I really realized, you know, you know what passion looks like, you know, I know what it's like for myself. And so when I'm like sitting in lab (laughs) and in classes with people who have passion for this research, and I, that's when I was just like, okay, it's like do or die, sink or swim kind of thing. So that's when I decided to put pretty much like all of my eggs in one basket and go full force. Was there a certain moment when you realized that or a, a catalyst Actually, that made you? there was. Uh, so <laughs> I got a call to play at a wedding for a church member, someone I had who knew me growing up in the same church mm-hmm. and um, they wanted me to play meditation by Thais, which was a piece that I had learned while I was still in like elementary school, middle school ish, like fifth, sixth grade, I'm thinking. And I definitely remember picking up my violin after not having played it for about a year and a half at that point. And I literally couldn't Like, I couldn't remember it. There was no muscle memory. No. And it it was the strangest feeling. Mm, You know, I just, I had never 
freaked out like that before or since. I don't think that <laughs> really. Wow. Yeah, I think that was a moment. <laughs> yeah, I think it was a moment where it's just like you could really lose it. Mm. That that palpable reality was what triggered me to say, "Okay, mm. I got to make this decision." Wow. Interesting. Yeah. That is fascinating. Yeah. So then, right after that wedding, you were like, "Forget it. I'm just, I'm just out of this program." <laughs> um, well. I mean, I was on full scholarship. So, uh, you know, I had a conversation with my parents about it. And, you know, they were extremely supportive. And I'm really grateful to them because I think if they weren't as supportive, I probably would not have withdrew so Mm. quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, I probably would have finished out my program at the very least. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they were like, are you sure you want to do this? Because obviously they knew what I would be walking away from. But I think my parents always knew that I, like, I'm not like a, like fly by the seat of my pants kind of person. I never really have been. I've been really headstrong as a kid. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, if I wanted something, I would literally fixate on it. (laughs) So, So I think, I think, even with playing the violin, I literally begged them for a year before they put me in lessons. Wow. Like, it, yeah. So, yeah, I think once they really realized this was something that, like, I had firmly decided that I wanted to do, they gave me 100% support. Yeah. So um, at that point, uh, I think at, at the time, I could only apply for schools that had like rolling admissions or the deadline hadn't passed. Mm. And so, oh, that's what it was. So there were a couple of schools that had rolling admissions and then some that had January deadlines. I withdrew at the end of December. So I ended up auditioning for uh, Indiana University and Curtis. And I ended up getting into Indiana. Made finals at Curtis, but I was at the cusp of that age cutoff. Beautiful. Yeah. So you said you begged your parents to pay, play the violin. What was it about the violin, that particular instrument? Well, I think just the sound of it. Um, my my dad loves classical music, and he literally listens to it incessantly uh, all day. So you every were day. influenced by. So I your yeah, I grew up listening to it. Like if I'm in the car with my dad, he's playing classical music. If he's home by himself. I, I say home by himself because if my mom's home, she's definitely blasting gospel music. But if my dad's <laughs> home, <laughs> little gospel, um, little classical. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's okay. definitely listening to classical music. And there was, um, you know, like one of those lo- local public television stations that aired a performance with the Israel Philharmonic. And it was Pink Zuckerman performing mm. a Tchaikovsky Violin Concerto. Oh, so and that's when I became obsessed. <laughs> I was obsessed. Wow. So are your parents yeah. musicians in any way? No, they're not. Mm. Neither of my parents are musicians. It's always, for me, so fascinating because I come from a background that's completely musical. Like, mm-hmm. there was just no option. Um, yeah. So to hear, I love it when I hear, you know, of, of, of people that have sort of taken it up without sort of that background. I, You know, I don't even... I almost can't comprehend it because how does a parent know the importance of that, those early beginnings, those early stages? But obviously, if yeah. your parents listen to classical music and listen, listen to you know things that's featured, that's a that's a huge for me. It was Yo Yo Ma on Sesame Street, even though I already knew yeah. you know yeah. that it was going to happen for me, or that that's that was awesome. sort of my path. So that's incredible. And so after, so you went to Indiana and finished yeah. up there. Yeah, so I got my bachelor's from Indiana and then um, did grad school at Juilliard. So I moved to New York and I was in New York up until about 2010. And that, like, you know, working freelance jobs and also teaching. Mm-hmm. And then I actually went to, to uh, work abroad at the University of Trinidad and Tobago as um, an artist in residence. And then I eventually moved back to the States and I moved to LA for the first time in 2012. And that's when I started string candy because so prior to that, I was in a string quartet and I kind of co-founded it with uh, four other 
oh, three other black women and four of us total, obviously. Um, but yeah, we so we wanted we wanted to form this like all black, all female quartet and present, you know, traditionally classical works, but we really enjoyed new music. So that was, you know, really what our focus was on. And we, we actually were together for about seven years and it was, I mean, it was really, really a great time. And I formed some really amazing bonds with, with all of the ladies. But when I, when I left to go to Trinidad, things changed a little bit because within the group dynamic things were start, we, everyone's kind of starting to pull apart Mm -hmm. professionally, like going in their own directions, which was really hard for me because I, I wanted that quartet so badly and I just couldn't see myself professionally beyond it. So that was, that was just an interesting time. So after I left, after I decided to leave Trinidad and I lived in LA, I actually, I didn't know anyone. I, you know, I didn't grow up on the West coast. I didn't go to school there. Didn't have like many friends on the West coast period, let alone in LA. So I wasn't getting much work. I mean, I got a, few odd and then gigs, you know, mm-hmm. and that's when I just decided, you know what, I'm going to start my own company at really out of necessity. I'm like, I really want to work. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people in the business, music directors. I had toured a couple, you know, I had done a really big tour in 2007. And from that, that kind of like really started to build my network. And you know, at that point I was like, well, I can hire myself. Like, I don't want to sit around like moping around about people not calling me, yes. you know? And and I figured if it didn't work out, then I could just move back to the East Coast and, you know, get back into freelancing. You know, I went, I'm from the East Coast and I went to school in New York. So I had, you know, I definitely felt like I had a community there that I could go back to if I needed to. Yeah, at that point, I was just like, well, let's try it out. And I made zero dollars. Maybe, I mean, maybe like $150. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> Which and will so buy you did, lunch in that, LA. <laughs> well, I, I, think it's, I think it's important to note that because I think people really think that, you know, people have some like weird notion of this like microwave success story. And that's just not the case. It definitely took time to build and it's a lot of hard work. I mean, there's definitely a lot of nights. There's a lot of days where I'm sitting there like, why, why don't I just get a regular job? Like Mm. this is stupid. (laughs) As artists, we have those thoughts all the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. You know, so yeah, that first year I really didn't make any money. So going back a little bit, what prompted you to come to LA and, and try this out? It was it, you know, big dreams, LA, lots of work. Or it's just I did not have different. big dreams of LA initially. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually didn't think I would fit in in LA because mm-hmm. I'm like such an East, East Coast, Coast girl. And yeah. it's weird mm-hmm. because like you hear stories about LA, like, oh, it's like really superficial mm-hmm. and people can be like really, you know, like flighty or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, and there's an element of that, but definitely, you know, that's just like my, per- that was my perception, not having been in LA, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but because, I had built a community in New York um, as a freelance musician, but also my identity within this quartet that people were starting to know. I didn't want to move back to New York and then have to like dismantle that. I just didn't have the energy Mm -hmm. to address why the quartet was no longer Uh, work. mm. You know what I'm saying? So I was just like, this is, I needed the clean slate and the only other you know, industry that I knew that had freelance and like other kind, like comparable work to New York was LA. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. People don't, I mean, it's like bands splitting up or, I mean, it it really is, you know, when you're in a group like that and, and, in an ensemble, it's like a marriage, you know, and yeah, and you go through a split up or like a divorce, and it's it really is taxing. It's emotionally taxing. It's draining. You've built all of your sort of identity in many ways around it. So mm-hmm. I I completely yeah. understand that. Yeah, mm. and it was. I mean, that was tough. It was a tough pill to swallow too. You know, yeah. 
So I was just like, I just didn't feel like I'd be going back to New York for a good enough reason. Right. You know what I mean? Because it's like, oh, well, I know New York. And sure, I'd be able to like go back and like maybe like get back into the hamster wheel of things. But, I, you know, I was just like, this is just a chance to like clean slate, try something new. And by that point, I, you know, I'd left New York at the top of 2010, January, 2010, I moved to Trinidad. So at that point, you know, I was away for like two years. And then I was in LA for a year, tried LA out, definitely uh, was like, okay, if I'm not earning anything, then I can't, I can't justify staying. So I did eventually move back to the East Coast. And um, I, it's what's really interesting though, and I say this often because it, I just think it's really funny. Um, when I was in LA, I, I just really, I didn't even know where to start to get work. And I mean, I'm talking like wedding gig, anything, any kind of gig. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I floated by on my savings. Like I'm grateful I saved up a ton of money from, you know, this residency. And I told myself, like, I'll give myself a year because I knew I could live off of that for a year. Mm-hmm. And if I blow through that and I'm not like really earning anything, then I'm going to move back to the yeah. East Coast. Wow. So that's yeah. what I did. But I started getting way more work opportunities at the level that I was looking for because of string candy. Mm. Interesting. Ah. That was started in LA. So what, what prompted opportunities yeah. were local in LA or where, where were they coming from? So I did a couple of I did a couple of performances. And when I say I didn't make any money, I mean I pretty much like broke eat like barely broke even. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't I mean not really. I just I had a lot of savings. So I was like, that was the cushion. But you know, I fronted myself for flights and travel, of course, filed LLC paperwork, got a website up, got a logo, and there were, you know, I got a handful of TV spots. And these were, you know, in in collaboration with a few of the music directors or artists that I have personal, you know, I had developed a personal relationship with Mm -hmm. over, you know, over those last few years. Mm -hmm. And I think in seeing me in a different capacity as a contractor now, not just as like, a violinist on a gig, right. that's what that's what kind of put me in and primed me to be in a really unique position when I moved back to New York because I got a call to put together a string section for Saturday Night Live. And then after that show, one of the production managers came up to me and was like, I really love your work. The strings look great. They sound great. Every you got you literally make my job a ton easier. Can I get your business card? Cause you know, we have musical acts every week. Mm-hmm, so, yeah. you know, there's a lot of people that ask us about strings specifically. So I'd love to pass your name along. And that's how I got so many recurring spots on Saturday night live. That's amazing. Awesome. That's amazing. Wow. People yeah. do business with people they like and yeah, yeah. It's, you know, and like I, I said in, in our introduction, I just, a little bit that I've gotten to know you, there's just such a level of professionalism and respect um, for others and self, which is really something that isn't guaranteed in this industry. You know, people are willing to step yeah. over one another and and sort of self self sacrifice in order to get what they think is a is a next step up. And yeah, yeah. I, I love the entrepreneurial piece. Just the fact that you made that mind shift and recognized that you know what I've got to take this further and I need to find a way to make money and I've got to create my own. That doesn't happen with a lot of people. Um, no, it doesn't. It doesn't it happen with a lot doesn't. of artists. I feel like, <laughs> right. yeah, I mean, <laughs> because we're busy creating, and right. for me, business is a tough thing. Like I have to wrap my head around it. But yeah, it's. I think, an, I think another huge piece of that, though, too, is I mean, creatives and non-creatives. Like the thing is, entrepreneurs can see the need and figure out how to address the need mm-hmm. and monetize that. But I think a lot of people are just fearful because really what it means to be an entrepreneur is that you are responsible for your success or your own failure, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like Absolutely. if I, if I clock in at a job, like I, I had a teaching job, I worked at a university, 
Um, you know, and I also eventually worked for the Sphinx organization, which is a fantastic organization in Detroit, Michigan, based in Detroit. Um, but, um, yeah, like it's different. It's just different, you know, because there's, there's a certain security blanket that I think a lot of people, probably most people appreciate, Mm -hmm. you know, um, the salary, the benefits, health insurance, things like that, which, I can 100% understand, Mm -hmm. you know, those things are, are really imperative, especially when you're thinking about, you know, family and supporting yourself and things like that. And and everybody has different responsibilities, you know, but ultimately when you are an entrepreneur, your earnings are your responsibility. There's not like a cap on it. Like, oh, I know for a fact that I'm going to make Blah 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 because mm-hmm. I got you know <laughs> and a job letter <laughs> that, that's <laughs> what I'm going to get this year, um, and that's scary. I can understand why that's scary, but um, yeah, I think I think the people that really um, have the drive and the determination and the dig your heels in and stick to it are the ones that really flourish as entrepreneurs because I don't I just don't it's not for the faint of heart that's for sure yeah (laughs) yeah yeah definitely when you mentioned so I got a website up and I got a LLC did you did you did you research that or did you have somebody advising you well I had a friend I had a friend Ashley LaRae Sampson love her hey um who started (laughs) yes Ash is my girl um so she had started a company called Style Phoenix Style PHX And so, you know, she had her website up and running. We had met on tour at the time. She was a celebrity stylist and we became closer over the years and she eventually moved to LA. And yeah, so she was kind of like, why don't you do this and do this? LLC, get the paperwork. It's like really easy, quick, you know? So then I started looking in the state of California, which by the way, has the highest fees. Salty about it. Um, <laughs> I had a friend who, yeah. who had done it already. So she kind of was the one who inspired me and encouraged me to, you know, fill out the paperwork. And it, I mean, it was a couple hundred dollars, it, you know, right. it wasn't much. Fast forwarding, we went on your website and listened to a, you know some of the, the things you've done, and I I didn't even uh, realize that you did some ar- some arranging, which sounded beautiful. As, so I want to ask you about that, but as well as that is the Recollective Orchestra, which is an orchestra that you put together, right? Yes, yes, with, with Matt, the mighty Matt Jones. Yes. Okay, so let me, yeah, with the arranging, that was I didn't even know arranging was something that people did professionally. Or for money, like at all, no clue. Because I honestly started arranging when I was in elementary school. My younger sister and younger brother play instruments. So my, or at the time they did, they professionally pursuing other things, but my younger sister played piano. My younger brother played cello. So, you know, my dad had this dream of, you know, the Matthews (laughs) piano trio, which was ridiculous because we could never get it together. (laughs) (laughs) You know, sibling stuff. (laughs) But yeah, they, I mean, they weren't, they didn't play at my, at the level that I was playing at. So I had to arrange, you know, I had to like, take, take a score or takes like a melody for, we played in church a ton. So I would have to like make, do an arrangement for them that was playable. Yeah. Oh, amazing. So you just got the experience right off the bat. Yeah. Like right off the bat. And I had, again, like I had been doing it for like, since I was a kid, literally probably, I would say maybe starting around like nine, 10 ish. Mm -hmm. And then Obviously, like well, like when I went to Indiana and started taking like my, the formal, you know, theory and learning counterpoint and all of these things and all of the rules and regulations, and I always had great ears. So like even with ear training, that just kind of like really helped me to it. It helped me to work faster, right? Mm-hmm. Just bolster um, and arranging, yeah. And so when I moved to New York, that's really pretty much like when it started because there's just so many artists in New York and, you know, um, there's just, there's so much talent. And even while we were in school, you know, there's like students at other schools that maybe are like 
aspiring singers or aspiring songwriters. And they're like, yeah, I would love to put strings on this. And so I did so many freebie projects, just creative collaboration, cutting my teeth, so to say. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes, you know, I'll be like, oh, I can't pay you much, but I could pay you like, sometimes it'll be like a hundred bucks or a couple hundred bucks or something to record. And again, that just like helped me to work faster and faster. So then when I did start string candy officially even prior to string candy i had a couple of professional opportunities even with the quartet at the time and we had done you know maybe like a couple of wedding gigs and we you know we we would play some of my arrangements so that actually like just really kind of equipped me to be an all in house cuz like the first tour that i got was for Kanye West glow in the dark tour that was my first major tour but that's prior major. to that, like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was like on a huge, that's like on a huge, huge level. They had already had uh, charts for the most part. There were there were some songs that I, you know, did original string arrangements for. But then even prior to that, like my first professional arrangement was for PJ Morton's Emotions album. And that's mm. how I met the director for that mm. Kanye West Glow in the Dark tour. Ah, yeah, it's it's amazing. I mean, once you sort of get in and you, again, you have the credentials, the experience, the ability, uh, and the wherewithal to put it all together, it really, it's amazing when you do have all those skills and you recognize that, how, how many sort of places you can you can place yourself and you become a, a very important piece of the puzzle because you, you cover so many of aspects. It's almost like you're three in one being able to play, yeah. arrange, and well, contract. So, Well, I will also say, I, I think it's super important to stress the fact that I didn't just like, I didn't feel like I just like innately had these things. I mean, I'd been playing, like I said, I started taking formal lessons at, at about four, mm-hmm. okay, for all intents and purposes. But yeah, like with the, with the arranging, that that was kind of out of necessity, you know. And so there were certain things that I j- just it didn't really occur to me were a strength or a skill, mm-hmm. you know. And so over the years, out of necessity, having to do this, out of necessity, having to like develop the 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 quartet I was in, and you know, booking photo shoots so that we can have photos on the website, and like. <laughs> <laughs> These were just things that you have to do. And right. I mean, I think a lot of creatives don't see themselves necessarily as entrepreneurs. But I mean, if you're DIY, then you're doing it already. Right. Yeah. It's like, you know what's what next mean? on the list? Oh, that. All right. Well, yeah. uh, let's figure that out. How do we do that? <laughs> Ex- yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I mean, yeah, you can monetize that. You know, I think even like when we're we're looking at things like, Oh, um, in the middle of this really tragic, crippling pandemic, I think a lot of people are really kind of scared of of what's next. And some people are like, look, how do I figure it out? Because they've had to, you know what I mean? Like, I don't have the luxury to sit mm-hmm. and say, and I'm not saying like to not feel and not to like really allow yourself to, to emote and go through the process, you know, but I've never felt enti- like like I could like really rest comfortably because at any moment things could change really fast. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to put myself, I don't want to put my parents in, you know, a situation where they're having to like <laughs> bail me out. You know, <laughs> I have two younger siblings, like I said. And so like that for me is really important to be able to support myself. Yeah. So I'm like, well, okay, so how do, what do we do next? Like what, how do, how do we make this work? And so I, I would even say, you know, now that musicians are really starting to understand that remote recording is becoming more and more necessity because we don't know like how or if and when things will go back to normal. Absolutely. You know, it's like, it's really changing pretty much every industry. Mm-hmm. So that's something to really consider, you know, be teachable, be willing to learn. Like, it's okay to go on YouTube. Like, you don't have to, like, make announcements that you don't know. You can reach out to, to friends, people that you can trust to say, look, I need help with this. Mm. 
And yeah, like there's, I mean, with the internet at our disposal, like we, we live in the google.com age. Like imagine trying to do this without it, without the internet. Yeah. Yeah. You see library. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Trying to, I mean, yeah, yeah. Could you imagine if COVID? <laughs> It'd be um, crazy. The fact that we've, our kids are still learning. I mean, yeah. the, the, ti- the entire world has had to stop, but has been able to continue because of yeah. the internet. And it's just, yeah, it's sort of mind blowing. Like, Which is interesting. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Some of the shows that we do when there's uh, these astrologists that that are saying, I guess, that we are in or either walking into the age of Aquarius, which apparently is supposed to be a huge technological time. And they're Mm -hmm. saying it's kind of similar to the time that the Internet became a thing, that we're now at a point where we're going to hit another huge jump like that, which is happening. So, you know, what we're seeing is that we're all connected and, and yep. we now have to be even more creative in trying to figure out how we can get things done when we're separate. Um, yep. So it's interesting. But it sounds like you're really prepped for the time, though. I mean, you, I'm just listening and I'm hearing all the different areas that you have experienced. Do you feel like really prepared for this moment? Like, how are you kind of feeling? Um, do I feel prepared? Uh, in some ways, yeah. In some ways, no. I mean, I'm still trying to figure it out like everybody else. You know, there is a shift for me, too. I think this thing impacts all of us. Um, How we respond may be different. But, yeah, I mean, I'm feeling I'm feeling the impact. But um, in some ways, yeah, I am equipped because, you know, I've been doing a lot of remote recording over the course of my career, even since I was like in grad school. And, you know, I. I'm I'm really grateful to have like a broad network of musicians, professional colleagues, and and just people that um, that value what I bring to the table, and they're figuring it out too. You know, so you we're kind of consulting with with each other about like how do we, you know, what do you think about doing a project like this? You know, how do you think we can maybe make this happen? I got a call about this and, you know, so those, there's, there's a lot of dialogue going on. There's a lot of conversations happening and yeah, I think it's important to have those conversations. And, And if you're feeling like there's an idea there, like, don't just like shrug it off. Sometimes that could be like your thing. Right. You know, the thing that you're supposed to do, that yeah. you're supposed to bring to the table and bring to fruition. And just to segue, because I didn't want to forget to address the recollective. Yeah. Um, so I was working at um, the Sphinx. I was working for the Sphinx organization and I was living in uh, Detroit. Um, so the Sphinx organization has a huge uh, competition for Black and Latino string players, and their mission is to essentially um, raise the visibility and profile of Black musicians within the traditional orchestras, so they want to increase representation, and they have successfully. Um, So I've always really been inspired by the Sphinx organization, and I participated in the competition, and I've kind of very positively affected by by the work of the organization. And I toured with Sphinx Virtuosi. I was a member in the Sphinx Symphony Orchestra, et cetera, et cetera. And they had reached out to me uh, to fill various roles. And that kind of culminated in the director position. But eventually, as as I was um, kind of segueing out of, of that role, I got a call from Matt Jones, which you know, was kind of, we had, we had worked together kind of remotely for the gumbo project and he scored all of the strings and it was beautiful, but for gumbo live, they needed some musicians in New York. So that was at Matt and, and, and my first time really kind of remotely working together, mm-hmm. but he had reached out to me and he was like, you know, I really want to, I'm, I'm you know, I want to do this project and I was just, I don't know, man. He And it was literally, it could have, I don't know if it was like 11 p.m. or like midnight, but it was like a late call. And Matt is actually like an early bird. So he goes to bed like way earlier than I do. So I was kind of shocked that, <laughs> that he like, called. What so, is this? <laughs> yeah. So like when I got, I was like, normally I don't, I don't really pick up my phone that late unless it's a handful of, you know, the handful of people that you know. Right. It's going to call after hours because they know you're up. 
So I, you know, he was, and he just, he didn't even say hello. He was like, man, I got this idea. So I'm like, okay, I'm hearing him go through, you know, the wheels are turning. And he was like, man, I just want to do something different. Like I'm thinking maybe like, you know, I don't know, maybe it could be like, do like a cover for a film or something. And it's funny because before he finished, I was like, like Black Panther and Black Panther had just come out. And he's like, yeah, man, like, yeah. So it was kind of like we were kind of on the same wavelength. Mm -hmm. And he was like, what do you think? I was like, dude, what if we did like an all black orchestra? Like orchestra, the like orchestra of Wakanda. And we kind of went back and forth about it because it's like, well, we don't want anybody to feel excluded, obviously. But I think it's really important for people to to see it, you know? Yeah. And so that's when we were like, we have to, we have to get someone to be like to with a camera. Like we need a videographer. We need to film it because people have to see it. Like we could say it's an all black orchestra and people can enjoy it, but it's not gonna hit the same until they see until they it. See they it. Absolutely. See it. Yeah. yeah. And so um, like I said, I was living in Detroit. Matt lived in Chicago at the time. And he was like, man, how you think you could, we, you really think we could get players? We had no budget for this, like $0 budget. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> he was like, you think we could get players for this? And I was like, man, I, I think so. Like, I, I think I could reach out to people and explain like what we're trying to do. And I think we could get some people who would be down to do this. Yeah. I mean, we have to be really, really like, intentional about how we use the time because you know we don't have we don't we have a very short window to make it happen because people work you know and so I said how soon do you think you could knock out this arrangement so he was like man I could I could get this done in a couple of days so I reached out to everyone and we I got some responses back some people really really wanted to to be a part of it and for various reasons weren't able to make it but um the people that you saw there all volunteered their time um, we all volunteered our time to make this conceptual piece happen. Um, I didn't get paid, Matt didn't get paid, and Matt actually paid for the studio time and the videographer. So that, I mean, that was kind of like an out-of-pocket expense. And right. we literally just made it happen. And um, I'm just super, super grateful for all of the musicians who invested their time and energy and talents because they understood that vision. Yeah. To make that happen. Mm -hmm. And that it it was just, I mean, yeah, it's like the vibe in the room was just so different. And even the guys in the booth were like, man, this this was crazy. Like, if you guys need to come back here, please call me. Please let me know. <laughs> um, so I, mean, I think yeah. you could tell from the energy that, you know, everyone was there for, for a shared purpose and a shared vision. And that was what you know, prompted, the, you know, we, once we released it, we couldn't, we didn't get clearance obviously because we wanted to use the backing track and um, we couldn't get the the clearance in time, but, you know, we put it out on Vimeo and it just started circulating like crazy, like circulating on Facebook, circulating on Twitter, circulating everywhere. And it got the attention of Hans Zimmer. And that's how, you know, that planted the seed for the Lion King project to happen. Ah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And that's where I first uh, met you. And I have to say, walking into a room uh, where 95% of the players were black or brown, I, um, it was, it was impactful for me because I, I've, I have not seen that here in LA, right? It's just not, it's not a common sight. So for me to walk into that room and just feel it was, you're right. It was a completely different vibe and there was so much joy, humility, appreciation, and it sounded great. It was, it was just, it was, the energy was, was incredible. So, you know, I, I personally just want to say thank you. Thank you to you and Matt for, for spearheading something like that and just really, you know, do, doing your thing. I mean, the example that you've set, I think, for so many of us in our industry to just sort of go for what you know, you know, don't be afraid and don't yeah. let that budget stop you. Don't let, you know, and I think people need to hear that story more and more. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we, we each have something really unique to offer 
something really special that you do that only you can do, you Mm -hmm. know, and just like with anything else, there's going to be certain people that are particularly drawn to you. There'll be people drawn to someone else, you know, but it's something about you, something uniquely you that, that you have to offer, you know, and it's, I think too often we collectively run away from that, but I think this is a great time to really tap into that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. with the internet, as you said, that this is a prime time because of technology and people consuming for you content. To really, yeah, right. Get mm-hmm. your idea together, and that's exactly what you guys did. It was just, I love that you, the concept, the discussion about it. You basically finding ways to make it happen and doing your best to pull it together and then share it. And then from there, you know, the world makes its decisions about, you know, what's cool or whatever. But I, just just hearing that, I've heard that story more than once um, on so many occasions about people that just had ideas and then they just they just got them out and other people found them and were just floored by what they saw. That's so, it's such an incredible story, you know, because you, you feel it and you just don't know how much you, I mean, you, you got it all the way to Hollywood. It impacted Hollywood by what you did. That is, you know, it's crazy to think, to be honest. But the thing is it like, we each have that power to affect change. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think, I think that's really, if, if, if I don't say anything else worth listening to, like we literally each have the power to affect change. In in our own way, yeah, you know, and it can have a ripple effect. Sometimes it could be like a, a TKO, but I mean, <laughs> no. sometimes it's like created. No, seriously, you know, yeah, every it it's not always going to necessarily affect change in the exact same way. Sometimes it is a slow process. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's immediate, you know, mm-hmm. like a combustion. But mm-hmm. I mean. We have to do it, though. Like, if we right. want to, we have to be the change we want to see. If we right. want any sort of progress, we want reform. I mean, not to get on the, the whole political kick or anything like that, but, you know, for all of the things that we we would like to see happen and like to see change, like, we have to take ownership and responsibility for seeing that through and making it happen. Boom. Right. Drop the mic. Yes. That's it. <laughs> and not letting it. fear stand in the way. Because yeah. I, I know Absolutely. for a lot of us, that's that's the reason that we don't yeah. push yeah, yeah, push forward. And I'm sure there's so many backstories that you probably don't even know of. I mean, as, as that video circulated across the internet, you probably have so many musicians that started playing or came up with other ideas. I'm sure of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Because you know, that's, you know, that's the thing. It's like you can inspire others to do the work that they need to be doing right you know um and like even it's it's funny because it's like even the people that you know we look to for inspiration like also need to be inspired like we all need to be inspired and you Mm -hmm. never know what can inspire right yeah you never know where that inspiration is going to come from but if you're not holding if you're not offering if you're not putting up you know the things that that are, mm-hmm. like you said, your passion and you dig your heels in. I think that's sometimes the hardest thing. You know, we're so easily defeated. Um, yeah. But by self-doubt, you know, not by other people, but just, mm-hmm. you know, and I think, I mean, having children, you know, seeing how much time they spend on these social channels and, uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's hard to pull away and just focus on yourself and that self, uh, yeah. you know, investment in, in many ways. Um, and really, I mean, the timing of it was incredible in so many ways. Who would have known that this, you know, Lion King project was coming along and that that, you know, was going to avalanche into something so, so great that so many people could benefit from. I mean, for me, that's the divine. I mean, here I go going to another realm, but that's when you get ideas, you know, it's funny. There's actually a, I don't know, I'm sure so many people have heard it, but there's this thing of Mike, Michael Jackson joke when they would say, you know, he would get up late at night and, and you know, he'd be writing his songs out and his mom would come in and be like, Michael, what? It's two o'clock in the morning. What mm-hmm. are you doing? Why are you in here? Go to bed. And he'd say, Mom, I got to get this song idea and I got to write it out because if not, Prince is going to get it. You know, like <laughs> it's the I the, this whole thing of like really believing that these ideas, these songs, the things that we get, they're given to us for a reason. And sometimes, yeah. like you say, that we discount them, like ah, you know, whatever. I'm gonna do this later. But 
as you did, you know, as Matt, Matthew, Matt, mm-hmm. Matt did. Yeah, he, Matt He recognized, like, okay, I got to seize this. Not knowing that divinely it was already kind of appointed that these other things were lined up that you can't see. So in a sense, yeah. you're, you're walking out and acting on faith that, you know, I got this idea and I need to do something with it. I love that. Absolutely. And I'm so <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I'm really grateful to Matt too, because he was, he reached out to me, you know, he, mm-hmm. he was awake. Like I got this idea. I got this idea, you mm-hmm. know, and I'm just so glad that he didn't sleep on it. Right. You know what I mean? Um, and I think it's just really important to, I, mean, I just want to say shout out to Matt Jones. Hey, He's been doing his thing. Matt Jones incredible <laughs> arranger orchestrator composer um young black young black man and doing his thing so um he inspires me i'm inspired i'm inspired by by you geo I'm, I'm inspired by like a lot of my colleagues who just like you know show up in the space and are gracious and kind and generous um i think all those things are really important because uh, I think sometimes we can get distracted by the routine of yeah. it all, you know, mm. just kind of like, let me just bury my head and, and you know, it's like keep my nose to the ground and keep it moving. But yeah. it's like, yeah, we're like humanity is happening. Like we're like there's there's opportunities to affect humanity positively yes. every day and yeah. everyday engagement. Um, and again, you just never know. Even a kind word can really change someone's week. Girl, month. just a, yeah, know. a smile. I, you know, there was yeah. a man. There was a man on the side of the road that had a sign the other day, and I think it's the, the the sign said something about, you know, I don't really need you to give me anything, but a smile could change. You know, might change my day. It was something to that effect. You know, and so yeah. I read his sign, and it was so apparent. That people didn't even take a moment to read his sign. Because when I read his sign, it just made me beam. And I caught his eye, and he looked at me, and I gave him a thumbs up. And the sunshine that came out of his face in that moment of just being recognized and reading his (laughs) sign. And sometimes you're right. It's just that little bit. Let's take a moment to look up and not always just be focused, you know. It, it's, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. And it's those little things. Yeah, and speaking of change, when you're talking about change, um, I've always been nervous about doing things just because I didn't think it was enough. And sometimes it's just those simple gestures or sometimes we're already affecting change and we don't know it. So yeah. it's not being oh, so yeah. hard on ourselves and just continuing to do positive things and, and mm-hmm. for yeah. humanity. Yeah, Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Well, this this has definitely turned into one of our longer podcasts, but there's so much more still to talk about. I think we're going to have to do a, 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 a chapter two. two. Yeah, yeah, it's a part two. We got to um, be sorry. Yeah, because we, we didn't it. even get into the Black Lives Matter movement and how that's been, you know, really affecting everything. I, you know, the, the one thing is that there's, it's it's busted wide open in so many ways and there's so much opportunity yeah. right now to really affect change and to make a difference and, um, yeah. You know, I think, like I, you know, like I said, like the recollective, and you know, the fact that that Hans took notice of it and did what he did with Lion King. I've been in this business here, working in you know, the film industry for 16 years. I've never seen anything like it. The the way that everything went down, um, it was it was just incredible. So I just, you know, just really quickly, if I mean, I don't know how quickly we can do it, but to touch on the Black Lives Matter movement and and how you're seeing it affect our industry. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's certainly affecting every pocket of our country. Um, because I think really the most positive thing from the, I mean, the string of tragedies. And I I Mm. think maybe it was, it was the perfect recipe of like disaster and frustration, which just was like, people are like, we've had it, mm-hmm. like we've had enough. And I think it's really awakening people who have been, you know, it's just like, I don't, it, it hasn't been hiding in plain sight. It's been in pl- plain sight. It's just, it, you know, like when you're looking for your, you're not even really looking for it, but like <laughs> I've, I've had moments where I'm like looking for my phone or something like, and I'm looking everywhere, like tearing up my apartment and it's like sitting right there in my hand. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> I do it with my glasses all the time. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like it's kind of one of those things yeah. um, where it's like, it's so close to you, you know, and you seem, you can't seem to find it. You can't seem to see it, but now it's making it nearly impossible for people to, to turn a blind eye. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like so in your face. Um, and I think, we have to really come to terms with where we are to be able to really move forward. I mean, it's a really disgusting, embarrassing, hurtful, um, painful past history in this country, you know? Um, and I just, I'm, I'm really proud of um, these young people who, who have the energy and the fire and the fight to, you know, to, to resist and, and to affect change. I really applaud them yeah. because I mean, change, people are cha- change averse. Like we're not innately like welcoming of change. Some of us are more adaptable than others, yeah. you know, but it's not something that we seek out. Like I'm looking for change, mm-hmm. please let me find it. Right. Um, so, <laughs> Change is it, uncomfortable. It takes, yeah. yeah, like mm-hmm. it really takes effort. Mm-hmm. It has to be intentional. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And things have been this way for so long. And so many people are so comfortable. So many parts of legislation and laws have been set in place for so long that, yeah, m- making that change, it almost had to come from the young kids who haven't been programmed, who haven't, like, as you said, kind of had their head to the ground and just, you know what, this is how we move and do. The kids are looking yeah. like, what, what? Like, this is real? Like, yeah. you guys deal with this? Like, this is not okay. <laughs> like, the kids are looking at the other kid, adults like, this is not okay, daddy. Like, no, yeah. we got to change this. this yeah. Why are you guys dealing with this? You know, and, and it's like you said, it's it's beautiful to see, you know, I mean, it, it made me cry to see some, you know, young white kids arguing with their parents. And my daughter has even I, spoken yeah. about this. Some of her friends are calling her and saying, they're they're literally arguing with their parents and grandparents about you know these things that are that that are not okay that their their parents you know are, are programmed are yeah, yeah they're, they're or completely blind. In, in in line with and they're you know they yeah. think is okay and it's it's really amazing as you said it's amazing it's, it's beautiful it's sad that it all came the way that it has but there's definitely an awakeness of the the world is is there's like a, a yeah. spiritual awakening that you know was happening that wouldn't have come any other time you know without covid being there without all these things that have slowed everything down and made people force people to look at you know no you know because before how you doing i'm okay all right see you later john like no yeah i have to stay here how are you doing like uh today i don't know i'm kind of yeah now we can it was the perfect storm you know the perfect storm the perfect chain of events yeah yeah so well i'm gonna um I'm going to definitely just put it out there. We would love to have you back and talk a little bit more about what's, you know, what's what's in store and what's going to be happening in the next few months as we're all just, yeah. you know, keeping a, a close eye on, on when things are going to back, yeah. you know, go back to normal and what is going to be back to normal. What is normal? Yeah, exactly. What is. But before we let you go, we ask all our guests to complete this sentence with three to three to five words. Um um, just describing basically you. So I am blank. <laughs> I am evolving. Love that. Let's see. You need two more. Yeah, give me a give me a whatever few. comes to mind. Okay. I am fearless. Love it. I am grateful. Wow. Oh, I love those. I love it. And we sometimes make it, you know, we've been making it a habit to turn, turn it around. So um, I'm going to say you are inspiring. You are an innovator. Hmm. I have so many things. Like I'll have to choose one. <laughs> you know, I think I think impactful. You know, thoughtful, strong. Uh, 
Yeah, he's going off. <laughs> I know, dang. <laughs> There's other words I don't even have, but, you know, it's been such a pleasure getting to meet you and, and just learn more about who you are. Super excited about what the future holds for you. Yes. Thank and you then so before much. Um, this has been a pleasure. Oh, well, great way to start Amazing. off our, our morning. <laughs> um, all of us late, you know, non-early birds. <laughs> Typical artists. Correct. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You were our morning cup of joe. There you go. There you go. Thanks, guys. Um, and then we just want to make sure that everybody who's listening knows how to find you. Um, might they oh, need yes. any of your amazing services, arranging, contracting? Um, amazing. Yeah. That's wow. awesome. All of it. Um, so, yeah. Let's... I, I can be reached at my website. Mm-hmm. Uh, my website is www.stringcandy.com. That's S-T-R-I-N-G-C-A-N-D-Y.com. Um, you can find me on Instagram, um, String Candy, on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram under my name also, Stephanie Matthews. Matthews with two T's. Um, or Twitter. Um, you know, you can find me on Twitter under my handle, Stephanie Matthews. Um, and String Candy is also on Twitter. So I love you know, engaging with people. So, you know, if, if you have, you know, questions or you have a performance or even, you know, some really talented young musicians, string players or whatever, tag them. I'd love to follow them and see, you know, what the, the you know, what the young talent is doing. Yes. Yes. They are the future. Like Winnie said. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, and I'm hoping, I mean, you're clearly inspiring many in that generation. Um, so thank you so much. At some point, I want to hear the story about how String Candy, how you got that name. I was going to ask that, but you know, oh, yeah, I, I know, know. we're running out of time. <laughs> but I was like, I, know. I wonder if she really pretty, liked String Candy. It was pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty quick, actually. Like, so I was, you know, I, I was kind of putting words together I was just like, yeah, you know, so I didn't want it to sound too traditionally classical. That was the main thing. Yeah. I didn't, you know what I mean? I wanted people to know that I kind of specialize in strings naturally, mm-hmm. but I didn't want it to sound like a like a classical chamber group or anything. You know what I mean? Right. And so I was putting words together. I was like, ah, I don't know. Will this work? And then I remember being in Chicago with my niece and my nephew, and they were little, little at the time. And I was just like, so I, I I was thinking like string candy or string players, like eye candy. So like maybe string candy, I don't know. And then I was like seeing all this like string, actual string candy on <laughs> the internet. So I was like, uh, I don't know if that'll work. And I kept saying it just like, like trying to mull it over in my brain. And then my, my nephew at the time latched on. He was like, Auntie Stephanie, I want some. Can I have some? I want some string candy. <laughs> and he would not let it go. Yeah. And I like, I couldn't explain to him, like it wasn't actual candy, but he, when I tell you, he latched on to the name and then he got my, my niece who was like, I want some, get, get, I'm gonna ask daddy, can I have some? And I was just like, if it's this, like, <laughs> I, you know what I mean? Like, if it's that catchy for kids, right? then maybe I'm onto something. And then that's when I looked up the .com, and there was no .com. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Incredible. <laughs> Meant to be again. Right? You can't forget Everybody it, wants you know? some Walking in candy. your purpose, girl. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. They wore me out. I want some. <laughs> now that's what everybody else is gonna be saying. I want something. Hey, tagline. Yeah, yeah. Everybody wants some string candy. Yeah. <laughs> string candy. Oh, you know you want some. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And Steph. we are really just looking Thanks forward for to hearing me. more and keeping that's an eye good. out. Check out uh Stephanie Matthews at stringcandy.com and on all the other uh 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 Candles and socials she's given us. Oh, and the Recollective Orchestra. Oh, yes. So give us that, the Recollective Orchestra. Yeah, recollectiveorchestra.com. Uh, we're also on Instagram. But if you need, if you want to reach out to us, um, you can reach us through the website. Perfect. Girl, you have a lot of handles to manage. 
<laughs> too many, too many. But shout out to Matt because he he's he pretty much kind of uh, manages the the website. So. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, we'll have to have yeah. Matt on too. I'll get his uh, contact yes. from you and, and get him on online as well. Let's have an interview with him. I co-sign that. Yay! <laughs> Yay! We'll have to have you on with him. That'd be awesome. Like you can ask the really the, uh, the really hard questions. Table. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, have a Thank wonderful day. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Interested in starting your own podcast? Visit us at iammusicgroup.com. <laughs>